I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. That is the music of James Williamson and the Pink Hearts. And James Williamson is my guest today on the program. Now, James doesn't really need an introduction, but I am a avid, if not obsessive, introductionist. So, <laughs> let me tell you a little bit about James Williamson. Born in Castroville, Texas at the dawn of the 40s, James Williamson picked up the guitar when he was in seventh grade. Now, did he do this because of an inherent youthful curiosity in musical composition? Well, not exactly. He started playing guitar because Elvis played guitar, and he thought Elvis was cool. I can relate. I was a huge Sting fan when I was in seventh grade, and that's the reason why I got into yoga. But back to James Williamson. James' father died when he was just a boy, and this uprooted the family quite a bit. A move to San Antonio led to a move to Detroit, and though Detroit was a long way away from Texas, that last move would prove to be a very fortuitous one indeed. I'll get to that in a second. So what do you do if you're from Texas and you move to Detroit and you know no one but you have a guitar? Well, you practice that guitar by yourself, in your room, until you kick ass. And that's exactly what James Williamson did. Now, I know it seems kind of lazy to describe Williamson's sound as one of raw power, because that's the name of the Stooges' classic album, but by 15, the guitar Williamson remembers had become an emotional outlet for him, and the connective tissue between all the chords he played were charged with emotive muscle. But let's face it, raw power just sounds better than emotive muscle. Emotive muscle is what you work on when you're doing yoga with Sting. But back to our story. Now, Williamson became pals with fellow ninth grader Scott Richardson, and in 1966, they founded a band called The Chosen Few. The Chosen Few were huge Stones fans and primarily played Rolling Stones covers. Although during this time period, Williamson found himself in a juvenile home, he never found himself out of the band. In 1968, the band was still together, and Ron Ashton joined the lineup on bass. But he wouldn't stay long. Why? Well, because he had other plans, and it didn't involve him playing bass guitar in a Stones cover band. Ashton and his brother went on to form the Stooges with Iggy Pop and Dave Alexander. Now, keep in mind, all these guys knew each other, and that's a biographical detail that will become important in about 14 seconds. 
After high school graduation, Williamson traveled to New York City, and he hung out with the Stooges, who at the time were cooking up their debut record. By 1971, the Stooges had put out two poorly received albums, and with the exception of Ron Ashton, were also cooking up a lot of heroin. Williamson signed on in 1970 as a second guitar player, but even two guitar players couldn't stabilize the instability of the Stooges, and the band broke up in 1971. But as we all know, the story doesn't end there. Pop and David Bowie had become fast friends after a 1971 meeting at Max's Kansas City. Bowie steered Pop towards manager Tony DeFree, who got Pop a meeting with Clive Davis, who signed Pop to a two-record deal with CBS. Pop and Williamson, on the urging of DeFray, went to the UK to reform the Stooges with some British hired guns as their band. But those guns didn't have enough, shall we say, raw power. (laughs) I know, I know. And the Ashton Boys were brought back to become the Stooges 2.0. Produced by Pop and mixed by David Bowie, Raw Power contained songs like Gimme Danger, Search and Destroy, and Shake Appeal. And my friends, it is a stone-cold classic. Written by Pop and Williamson, Raw Power was named by Kerrang! as the 36th most influential album of all time. And Rolling Stone did a similar list of 500, and Raw Power came in at 125. Other fans of the record? Well, it's a varied list. Morrissey, Nikki Six, Axl Rose, Frank Black, Jason Pierce of Spiritualized, and CeeLo Green have all cited raw power as a major influence on them. Henry Rollins has a search and destroy tattoo across his shoulder blades. Kurt Cobain said that raw power was his favorite album of all time, and the Smith's Johnny Marr had this to say about the playing of James Williamson. I'm his biggest fan. He has the technical ability of Jimmy Page without being as studious, and the swagger of Keith Richards without being sloppy. He's both demonic and intellectual, almost how you would imagine Darth Vader to sound if he was in a band. Here's something to remember. Johnny Marr is pretty much always right. After the Stooges' 1974 breakup, Williamson's demonic side took a valedictory lap. He produced Pop's Kill City and New Values records, but then it was time to give the intellectual side a go. Williamson graduated from Cal State Pomona in 1982 with a degree in electronics engineering. Using that degree and his smarts in the industry, Williamson became vice president of technical standards at Sony Electronics. He stepped down in 2009 when he rejoined the Stooges, a move that would last almost eight years. During that time, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they put out a new record called Ready to Die, and they had their work celebrated in the essential and fabulous Jim Jarmusch-directed documentary, Gimme Danger. In spite of all this great news, there was also some awful news. They buried two more members during this time period, saxophone player Steve McKay and drummer Scott Ashton. With Dave Alexander gone since 75 and Ron Ashton since 2009, Williamson and Pop were really the last Stooges standing, and Williamson had had enough. Announcing the end of the band, 
Williamson had this to say. The Stooges is over. Basically, everybody's dead except Iggy and I. So it would be sort of ludicrous to try and tour as Iggy and the Stooges when there's only one Stooge in the band and then you have side guys. That doesn't make any sense to me. So where does this lengthy introduction lead us? Well, it leads us to James Williamson and the Pink Hearts, a veritable supergroup fronted by Frank Meyer of the Streetwalkin' Cheetahs and Petra Hayden of the Hayden Triplets and rounded out by Williamson on guitar. The band's debut, Behind the Shade, is a cleansing blast of rock and roll that's soulful, stirring, and exuberant. Williamson's playing is melodic, chromatic, and as raw as ever. You know, thanks to his emotional muscle. Let's face it, if I had said raw power again, you never would have forgiven me. When I spoke to James Williamson, he was vacationing in Hawaii, which isn't very punk rock. However, there was a volcano erupting while we were talking, which is very punk rock. All right, enjoy my chat with Hall of Fame guitar player James Williamson right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I was wondering, how did you link up with Petra? Well, I, uh, you know, from 2009 until like really 2014, I was, um, you know, I rejoined the Iggy and the Stooges and I was touring and, and Mike Watt was our bass player for, for that band. And so, uh, you know, at, at some point, I forget exactly when, but at some point, he the the topic of her her album, uh, the Who Sells Out, uh, which she did a cappella, uh, came up, and he was telling me about you know this chick that that had done that that he knew, and uh, and so I at some point I checked it out and I was just completely amazed that you know that somebody could actually do that so when i when it came time to start working on the pre-production for um ready to die which was the stooges last album um i you know i looked her up and and uh had her come down and and uh you know kind of work out some things with me um and Again, I was floored by you know her her talent really. So we used her on that, uh, which was the first time, and then from there, really, I've done I've done uh, quite a few things with her. I had her uh, do some harmonies and some violin work and so forth on Relicked, um, which is my album, um, and then that was about 2014, and I did a few singles with her, and then. Uh, you know, I thought of her immediately when when we decided to do this project. How did you feel about her with you and Frank? Why was that the perfect combination in your brain? Well, you know, I, I you know, you never know these things until you try them, and uh, I just I just knew that both of them could really sing, 
and but they were way in the kind of polar opposites almost in terms of you know the style of singing and so it wasn't a you know it was kind of like well we have these songs let's go try them and I had we I think at that point we had about four songs written um, so I went down to LA and went in the studio with the two of them and you know it just clicked it just sounded good together um, and they each sort of uh, complemented each other and at the same time they 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 made up for some of the things that the other one didn't have you know so it was it was really super I I, I'm, I'm thrilled about the way they sound together. So you could tell immediately that there was some synergy there. You could tell it was the right mix. Yeah, I, I could tell it was going to work. And, um, you know, boy, was I right. I mean, they went on to really, you know, <laughs> I, you know, it, when you have somebody like Petra Hayden as a tool in your toolbox, you, it's hard to go wrong because, you know, she... You know she can she can sound she can hit notes that uh, that almost nobody can hit. You know, and so you know just uh, when you listen to that album, she's just incredible on it. <laughs> why why is Frank not a not a, a household name? That guy's a bit of a monster. I think so too. You know, I'm I don't I don't know uh, you know all the history of Frank. I. Again, I, I only met him when um, when he we I did the relict show in Los Angeles and uh, and he uh, he was playing in his band the Streetwalking Cheetahs and he was the the band for uh, Cheetah Chrome and I had Cheetah come on as the opener for uh, for us and um, I. You know, Relict had 14 singers on it, and so it was impossible to tour it. But I had, uh, uh, we, we did a Carson Daly uh, taping in L.A., and so I had a bunch of the singers there because of that. And so I took the opportunity to do a live show with what I could get. And, uh, you know, I was probably missing a half a dozen singers or so, but uh, in looking for replacements um cheetah had said you know frank can really do it i mean you know he's great and i i said okay well can he do this this, that the other thing and he he came on and did the show and just you know blew me away because he 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 can really sing and uh the thing that really put this whole album together for me is that he can write lyrics um and he writes them quickly so it was like, yeah, you, I mean, you asked, why isn't he a monster? And I don't understand it either. I mean, he, I think it's just very, very hard for, uh, for people to establish themselves, you know, beyond that L.A. scene. I think, they, you know, there's a lot of guys who are musicians, and it's, uh, you know, it's tough. Uh, that's all I can think of. I, I, I don't understand it either. Yeah, he's maybe inc- after this record. Yeah, maybe this will be the one that that puts him over. Um, what yeah, it could be? What was your goal with with this album? What were you? What did you have in mind in terms of like in terms of like the mission statement of this record? I didn't really have one. I mean, I, you know, I it's just like any other record I've ever done. Really, I just 
uh, felt like writing some music. And, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes, you know, you start writing music and it just doesn't, it, it's not really all, you don't feel like it's really going anywhere. And uh, this time it started, uh, you know, kind of working and I was enjoying, um, I was enjoying not only the songs and how they were coming together, but enjoying working with the people. I mean, I have a absolutely killer band on, on this record. And uh, I've worked with a lot of those guys before, but, uh, you know, just having them all together uh, was amazing. And, and I, you know, I, my, I guess my mission was to get this music out in front of people and let them hear it and, and uh, hopefully you know, hopefully they'll like it as much as we do. Well, I, I've listened to it. I, I think they will. Um, is for you as a creative person, I know you're in Hawaii right now, can you turn it off? Can you ride in the waves, hang out on the beach and not think about music? Or are you thinking about being creative all the time? Uh, well, you know, I think it's, it's, um, I think that, this whole um, we're in the midst of releasing this record and so it's pretty hard to escape it you know where i i i'm trying to uh you know try to compartmentalize it a little bit uh because i got you know a family and i have other things that that occupy my my interests but um it's still right there all the time so i'm i'm still you know, taking phone calls like this one, I'm still, I'm still on email and, you know, all of those kinds of things. Because you, you know, it's, it's really, it's what you do, you know? So it's just like you, I doubt that you can go on vacation and completely turn it off. Uh, Look, I I can't go on vacation at all because I can't turn anything off. My brain (laughs) never stops. (laughs) Exactly. So I I get it. I mean, but also, I mean, it it also speaks to a kind of excitement that you have around the project. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I don't really need to do this anymore. In fact, I don't. I stopped touring with the Stooges because I don't really like to tour anymore, but I felt like this particular group of people and this particular group of material really deserve to have some shows around it. So, you know, that's, uh, that's what we're going to do. And, you know, that's what I'm kind of in the midst of right now. Did you find in the old days though, when you were with the Stooges, you could make a record and kind of disappear for a while. And now it's harder to kind of be off the radar. Yeah. Well, back in the day when we were making records, we would, die for anybody to pay any attention to us <laughs> at all. You know? Nobody, we disappeared completely. Nobody cared, you know, but it, it's, uh, it's funny how that all worked out. And, um, it's, it just, uh, was a very, very kind of delayed process as to when, when we got that recognition. But now, you know, now it's a different story and, and I'm able to sort of, well, first of all, be involved, which I, I like, but I, I'm also able to sort of lend all of whatever, you know, name recognition I have to the project and, and you know, get some gigs and things for these guys and, and me and, and go out and, you know, play it for people. How are you in terms of with you and your instrument? Are, do you find as a player now that you are more efficient 
uh, than you've ever been? Like, what what is your relationship to the guitar now compared to what it was before? Well, that's an interesting question. I I think that uh, overall, I'm at a point where you know I don't need to prove anything anymore. So I'm not trying to um, you know to impress you with you know my my virtuoso guitar playing or you know any of that i'm i'm really settled into being what i really like to be which is you know kind of a songwriter and i i like to express the song according to what i think it needs rather than you know to always focus the song on me um so yeah i'm i guess i've matured a little bit as a guitar <laughs> player if that's the right word you know uh, it, and I think it, it's reflected in the album. There's a lot of a lot of good players on on there. I mean, Frank, even Frank, takes the solo on one of the songs. How is Frank as a player? He's good. Yeah, he's good. I, I think um, he, his style is quite different from mine, but uh, that's not necessarily bad. And he, you know, he we were we worked up Purple Moon and. Um, you know, he played he played the solo on that as, as the demo, and he you know he played it better than I could play it. So I would I just said, hey, you know, you do this one. You know? <laughs> so yeah, he's good. I like the way you describe what you were talking about with your relationship to the guitar because I this record you there is muscle in the way you're playing, but it's also very loose and um, there's a kind of breeziness to. Uh, to the muscle that that I'm hearing, I I love the way you sound on this record. Thank you, man. It, it's uh, it's uh, it was just really so much fun to do it. How often are you practicing now? I mean, do you practice every day? Should you? Are you hard on yourself in that way? Um, you know, I I don't I don't I don't do it like that. I I'm um, I mean, there's no there's. Like I said earlier, I, there's nothing I need to prove, and so I'm not really trying to, um, you know, get, some guys like get up and play every day and do all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, my style is really better when I just feel the music and and just play how it feels. But by with that saying, you you know, when you do live shows you still got to remember the song. Right. <laughs> so especially with, um, with some of my old catalog, you know, the fur is flying on, on those tracks. And so you really have to, you know, kind of know the thing, you know, really well. And of course I do cause I played it for so many years, but you know, everybody's got to be able to do that. So, um, when, when writing the material for this, I, yes, I played it every day. You know, I, I can't even tell you how much I've listened to this album because I produced it too. And so, you know, you're listening to it when you write it, you're listening to it when you perform it, you're listening to it when you're mixing it and mastering it. And I mean, I've heard this thing a million times. Uh, I have to say that it doesn't really get old, which is a really good sign. I just, uh, but guitar-wise, I yes, I I will go through phases where I'm playing quite often, and then uh, like you know give it give it a 
break, and then we'll we'll be rehearsing for the for the live shows, and and of course we'll be playing you know all the time for that. How were you as as a kid? Were you pretty disciplined? Were you a guy who practiced a lot? Yeah, I you know I, I really was. I mean, I I was. Uh, I guess, you know, anything I did as a young guy, I would try to excel at it. Super, you know, sort of competitive person, really. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, yeah, it turned into being a, a kind of an emotional outlet for me once I became a teenager. I, I you know, I had to, I had to find something like that and, and so I could just go and play for hours and hours, and and I think that kind of is re- reflected in the the style that I developed because it's a very emotive style, and uh, you might say tormented, style. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it worked for me, and um, and so yeah, I did. You have to play a lot if you actually want to you know, develop your own stuff or if you want to get good at anything, really. You know, uh, Petra was talking about how she likes to improvise. Um, but how much room is there for improvisation in, in the live shows? Well, there'll be some. I mean, you know, there's a structure to the songs and then uh, you have to you have to give it room to breathe, especially the more you play, you know, the more shows you play. Then I think people get a little, a little less worried about you know, clamming and stuff, and they just they know the structure and they just work through it. You know, Petra is a an amazing talent, and so uh, you know I think she gets that from her dad, of course, who was an amazing player. Right. Um, but I I think that uh, she learned that just all her life. Um, and so she, she is uh, truly a, a person that you have to, you know, give her enough room to do her thing. Really, I always wonder if improvisation is is scary uh, for a musician. I was watching some Doors stuff, and I watched one where, where Morrison passes out, and the Doors just keep playing, and you can tell they're improvising, and they're really good. Um, but I also wonder if there's a kind of terror in, well, you know, what do we do? When does it stop? How far do we go? Um, but I also think there's a great moment for discovery in, in the improvisational process on stage. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know. I can't speak to, to the doors, but um, I know that in the Stooges, for example, that's really the way the band started was almost totally improvisation. And, and we... We, even though we had so- what we called songs in the beginning, um, a lot of it was just playing around. You know, Iggy would always go out into the audience and stuff. And so, you you know, you could have a song all worked out, but as soon as he hits the audience, the, the vocals might go dead for, you know, minutes at a time. <laughs> so you got to keep playing and keep doing stuff. And, uh, we did a lot of a lot of improv, yeah, in those days. So that was kind of second nature to us. And I, I think that every band, once they uh, once they know each other, they can there's there you can read people in the band. You know you know when you're going to go to a change, or you know when when it's time to stop or whatever. And so yeah, that's that's kind of part of being a musician. 
the the music that you listen to versus the music that you make. So obviously, when you are making your own music, you have your own set of demands that you want. There's ingredients that you want in your own compositions. Do you do you demand the same stuff from the music that you listen to? In other words, are there sort of like sonic sonic elements that you prefer and that you like? You know, a certain amount of heart or musicianship or whatever it may be. When you listen to a new band or hear a song that you like, do you find there's something in common with your own music? You know, I don't really look for me in in other people's music because you know, I'm hopefully you know there isn't me in those. But um, the the thing about liking music is, is, you know, sort of understanding, you know, that, Hey, that was a really cool change. You just made it that chord change or, or that, you know, progression of that sequence was amazing. And it's the beauty of the music. And I, I, uh, I, you know, I'm, that, there's no particular formula for that. For me, I don't think I, I I'm pretty wide, you know, I have a pretty wide, uh, taste range and I just uh, you know if I like something I like it I think and I think really that's the way most people are I mean if uh, you may not have any musicianship at all but you know what you like right sure and so it's it's just it's just harder and harder to please you the more sophisticated you get you know? <laughs> Well, you know, somebody asked me on Facebook to list my 10 favorite albums or just something like, you know, every, for the next 10 days, post a picture of an album cover that, that knocked you out at one point in your life. And I did that. And I looked back when I was done and I noticed all the albums were from 1989 or 1990. And I thought, wow, have I yeah. not been knocked out in 30 years? Um, are, are you able to still be blown away uh, the way you were when you were younger by new music or music that you hear? Um, I, I think occasionally I am, but, um, the, the trouble is that a lot of, um, what is popular today in music is, is not, um, is not something that I really think of as like my kind of music, I guess is, is what I, is the best way to put it. So I have. A lot of, you know, like if I'm ta- listening to my kids, which are not no longer that much kids anymore, but <laughs> if the younger people's music, you know, a lot of people listen to electronic music, a lot of people listen to hip hop, you know, and different different genres like that, and you know, it's very very uh, alien to the styles that I'm familiar with and and prefer, so. Uh, it's, it, it is, it is true that, you know, if you listen to this album I just made, um, I think it, it, it has a, a sort of, uh, 60s, 70s, 80s kind of point of reference, if you will. Um, and that's really what I like about it. It's very, it's kind of sounds like a, like a record from those days and it sounds, um, and it sounds good that way, I think. And so. Yeah, you know, it's 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 according to, uh, you know, kind of I think your age group and what uh, what things you prefer. But I, with all that said, I, when we played live shows with the Stooges, for example, I think probably at least 
60% of the audience were 20 somethings. Ah. And so, you know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, there's some of this stuff is timeless. Yeah. And what I like about this new record is that it has the urgency and the immediacy of the music that always thrilled me. That's why I'm crazy about this, this album of yours. Well, great. I'm really happy to hear that. I, that's how I feel about it. Exactly. Yeah, because there's a through line for me. You know, I like I like Merle Haggard. I like The Clash. I like The Gun Club. I like The Stooges. You know, I like stuff that that has energy and fire and heart. And it can be in a, it could be an old country song, or it could be a blues song, or it could be a punk song. Um, and I like what's happening with this record. Is I feel that that kind of raw urgency that I love uh, is is really present. Cool. Well, that's that that was the whole that was the whole idea. And so I'm really happy to hear you say that it's coming across. It's com- it's coming across, man. Um, and you must be thrilled to. I know touring is a, a pain in the neck, but you must be excited to to play some shows. Yeah, you know, I really am. I've I've kind of been off the road now for a number of different years, and I know, especially, you know, the people in the band uh, really want to want to play live with this record, and and. Uh, so I'm happy for them, and I'm happy for me, and and so I'm and I'm happy for the audiences because I keep getting you know requests to you know to play, and I, and it's uh, you know it's just not been a we I haven't had a vehicle like this lately that, that where we could do that. So I'm I'm really excited about it, and I think the shows are going to be great. And you're in Berkeley, right? So you're going to be able to see one of them. Oh yeah, I'm totally. You guys are going to come to San Francisco, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm definitely, I'm and definitely so, going to come. Uh, yeah, check it out. I will. And are you, in terms of future projects, I mean, again, like you were saying, you don't even need to do this. So obviously it was a labor of love. Are there other labors of love that uh, that you have in, in the queue that you'd like to do? You know, I'm, I'm busy doing this one. <laughs> That's all I can handle. Uh, so I can, you know, I can't really project any of that at this point. But I, I will say that uh, it was a, it has been a, an awful lot of fun. And so, you know, let's just keep it fun and, and see where we go with it. Well, my hope is that there's a couple records with this band because I, I love this record. Yeah, these guys are are are, are rocking. I'm telling you. <laughs> I, you know, I did it. I did uh, a lot of all the all the instrumental tracks and everything were all done in Berkeley. And so, uh, you know, there's a couple of Berkeley guys on them. And so you got some, some local context for you. <laughs> I like it. Where did you guys do it? Um, well, we did it at, at a guy, the guy who's going to be playing bass is the engineer, Jason Carmer. And he, uh, he's got his own little studio up there. Um, which I refer to as Shabby Road, <laughs> and it's, it's 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 right there. Uh, I'm trying to trying to think of uh, of um, the cross street, but it's right there where the train overpass. You know, so it has a, a kind of a road in front of it that looks a lot like that Abbey Road shot of the Beatles. Oh yeah, and, uh, and so it's it's uh, it's pretty funny. But it anyway, it's. Um, you know, it's it's great. He's a great engineer, and so uh, I spent a lot of time up there, and and uh, so I'm pretty familiar with Berkeley. And I, uh, uh, you know, um, 
Michael Urbano is also up sure. there in Berkeley. Yeah. So, yeah. So we got we got some local guys for you. Michael's name keeps popping up. That guy does a lot of stuff. He does. Yeah, he really does. And he is just, uh, you know, an incredible drum machine. You know, he really is. And I, I can't speak high, more highly of him. I mean, he just is really the best drummer I've ever played with. I mean, just not not in a not in a flashy way or anything, but he he can play the drums kind of like an instrument. So he's he's incredible. And I'm glad to hear that you uh, you're a fan of Berkeley. Oh yeah, Berkeley's Berkeley's a, a special place, and so yeah, I've, we've done we've done a, a a lot of time up there. Yeah, I bet. Well, the the creative spirit of the town is alive and well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it really is, and and uh, I mean, it's a kind of force unto itself. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but I, I, like I say, I I uh, I was able to get some great sounds out of there, and and uh, really really happy with with that whole scene. But you know, LA is good too. It's a music place, and so we uh, <laughs> we also did some really good work down there as well. Well, James, I think you've never sounded better, and I'm crazy about this record. The year is young, but it's one of my favorites of the year. Cool. Well, I'm super glad to hear that, and I I appreciate you spending the time with me today. Lovely guy, that James Williamson. And uh, a talented fellow. He's got some uh, uh, emotional muscle. (laughs) How about that? Uh, If you get a chance, do check out the Pink Hearts album, James Williamson and the Pink Hearts. The album is called Behind the Shade, and it is fantastic. It's out June 22nd officially. And if you're hearing this uh, particular show and June 22nd has come and gone and uh, you don't have the album, well, it's out there. Go get it. If it's before June 22nd, it's not out yet, but hang on, it's coming. Okay? All right. Uh, I am Alex Green. This has been Stereo Embers, the podcast. If you are on iTunes, please subscribe to our program. It will cost you nothing. Okay? Uh, And if you want to subscribe to Bombshell Radio, that would make us very happy as well. That will also cost you nothing. Two for the price of nothing. And everybody wins and everybody is happy. All right. If you're feeling generous, maybe leave a comment or two or a star or five. I don't know how many stars you can give on iTunes, but uh, you know, as many as you can manage, as many as you have left in your star bank, and you don't mind sparing a couple, we would certainly appreciate them. And as always, I appreciate you listening to the program. We work hard over here to keep you entertained, and uh, that's really all we want. All right? Okay, and a couple of stars. How shameless. Uh, I will be back next week, uh, but let's do this. Let's close the program with the title track from the James Williamson and the Pink Hearts album. This is Behind the Shade. Enjoy it right here, and I will see you next week on Stereo Embers, the podcast. There's too many days at the station. Too many sleepless nights Too many conversations 
Another man with your eyes 